we're heading into the winter time, which is a great time to plant fruit trees. So today we're going to talk about growing fruit at home. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of November 13th, 2014. We had the opportunity yesterday to be invited to speak uh, to the gardening class at the Center for Lifelong Learning of AUM, Auburn University, Montgomery. And so we thought we would just recap that presentation for you a little bit today so you would have an opportunity to participate as well. So several of us really like the taste of fruit. Oh, I should say, these slides are available on our website, so just go to the show notes page for podcast number 262, I think it is, Growing Fruit at Home, and there will be an embedded um, slide there so you can click on it and follow along with the slides. Um, a lot of us like the taste of fruit. We want great tasting fruit. We like to save money and we like to enjoy it year round. And when we do, the solution is don't try to grow it yourself. Go to Costco. Go to the Base Exchange. Go to Sam's Wholesale Club. That's where you can get cheap fruit. So Year round, yeah, like you year said. Year round, that's yeah. right. We don't grow fruit for those reasons. So why is it that we grow fruit? Well, for one thing, I think the fruit that we grow tastes better. I agree. Uh, you can grow varieties that are not available in the store. By their nature, these grocery chains carry the same product throughout their trade area, and there are things that grow really well in Alabama that you can't get at the grocery store. Right. Uh, you can't beat the freshness. Here's our grandson, Wallace, enjoying some blueberries when he was here with us last. He was picking them right off the bush and eating them. In fact, he, he you couldn't keep him away from those blueberry bushes. <laughs> Whenever we wondered where Wallace was, we generally knew to look near the blueberries because he would be down there chowing down. It's a can... great way to leave a legacy. Um, you know, when you plant a tomato plant, you're planning to harvest it this year. When you plant asparagus... You're planning to leave a legacy. When you plant uh, an apple or a pear or a muscadine, you're trying to leave a legacy. Right. Actually, I think an apple tree would be a greater legacy than asparagus. <laughs> asparagus does have a, a finite period, but, um, but I think any kind of most kinds of fruit trees would go on and on. And it's just lots of fun to grow fruit. It's fun to do what Wallace was doing in the picture, which is go around from fruit tree to fruit tree, pull the fruit off and just eat it right off the tree. And nothing makes us happier than to be able to share our fruit with other people. We just love that. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to grow fruit. What do you have to have in order to grow fruit well? Well, for starters, you have to have full sun. It's just not worth worrying about if you've got a spot that's shaded for half the day. Yeah, your tree may not die and yeah, you may get a little bit of fruit, but it's not going to be satisfying unless you have full sun. You've got to have decent soil, too. Um, now, where we're growing fruit trees, yes, when we planted them, we added some topsoil in like you're supposed to. But basically, um, our soil is sandy loam. It's not all that wonderful or nutrient-rich. 
Um, we don't do a lot of fertilizing, and they still grow and produce great fruit. Exactly. So it doesn't have to be great, but it does need to be decent And it's well-drained, so we'll go into that later. True. You do need to have good drainage. You have to have a lot of patience to grow fruit. Growing fruit is an exercise in delayed gratification. You're going to do a lot of work today, and in many cases, you won't see results for three, four, or five years down the road, but you just have to be prepared for that waiting period. This photo here is um, our basically our sum production for the year two years after we planted our first round of fruit trees. It's two apples and a few figs. That's all we got, literally. Um, but now we're getting a good bit more than that. Oh, yes. It, is, it has been delayed gratification, as you said. We talked about what you have to have. How about some things that also would be nice to have, like a south-facing slope that gets better sun in the morning and just works generally if you've got a south-facing slope, but it's not essential. Good air drainage, again, it would be nice to have. By, and what we mean by air drainage is you have to have a way for the cold air to drain off your um, the area where the fruit trees are growing. Otherwise, you may get a pocket of freezing air on a, on a late season frost. Yeah, it's like any other plant. Air circulation is just really important. And, of course, when you're when the fruit season is going on, that is when that tree is fruiting, you need lots of water coming to those plants. Um, and we'll talk sp specifically about some, but if you talk about pecan trees, if you talk about blueberries, if you talk about any fruiting tree, it needs, because think of how much of that plant, how much water is involved in the actual fruit. It wants a lot of water when it's really filling out the fruit. You have to have the right pH. Generally, our, the soil of most of us here in central Alabama tends to the acid end of the spectrum. So often we end up liming mm. our soil to raise the pH a little bit for almost all of our fruit trees. With one important exception. With one exception. important exception, which we will get to in a moment. Um, let's look at several fruits in descending order of the ease of growing here in our area. Uh, blueberries words, yeah, are the probably easiest. the easiest fruit to grow. Here's a, another photo of our blueberries. Joe, our son, actually took this one with Wallace in the background. Muscadines, strawberries... These, that's a basket of strawberries that we brought in one year, one day from the garden. Uh, persimmons, and by that we mean Asian persimmons, not common persimmons. Pears, figs, and apples. So that's our sort of hit list for fruits that are easy to grow here in central Alabama. Let's talk about what's not on the list. Peaches. We've, I mean, we do have peach trees, and we've had a couple of years with some peaches, but They've not been easy because they haven't produced very well. <laughs> we started with big hopes for blackberries because both of us really like blackberries. But blackberries have not been a good performer for us at least so far. And, and we're talking cultivated blackberries, the, you know, the, ones, the plants you buy and plant. Because certainly anybody who's grown up around here knows you can just go out and find wild blackberries and pick those. And they're prolific. But and they taste great. Mm, yeah. But you just have to deal with the small size of the berries and the thorns. Right. If you can deal with those, then you're fine with wild blackberries. Uh, plums are supposed to be easy. They have not been easy for us. That's why I have a question mark here. Yeah, the trees do fine by and large, but 
they're just not producing. Yeah. Uh, pomegranates, ditto. They're supposed to be easy, but we've had uh, one of our, no, two of our pomegranates die. We've replaced one. We haven't replaced the other. I think one of them might have been run over by landscaping. Well, that's true. <laughs> that, you can't blame the pomegranate for that. But, yeah, we did have one. That but got, the, the cold weather plays havoc with those. Yeah. The and, freeze. Um, we just haven't had any uh, production yet, so uh, the jury's still out on pomegranates. Melons have been difficult for, for me to keep them from splitting and um, still working on the formula for that. We had some that I, we planted at extension on the ground that did well. Um, this year in my raised beds, they did not do well, so working on that one. Kiwi fruit are fairly easy to continue to get them to continue to grow with one exception. They are vulnerable to not so much to freezing. The freezing doesn't seem to bother them, but getting too hot on one side while staying cold on the other as they recover from a freeze is very hard on kiwi fruit. So I would put them on the hard to grow list. Raspberries. A lot of people like raspberries. I do personally, but I've sort of given up on trying to grow them here because it's simply too hot here. We have friends who grow them. They have to deploy shade cloth and go through all kinds of, you know, I guess different activities and practices in order to keep the hot sun off them, but they're difficult. Bunch grapes, everybody wants to know, why can't I just grow the kind of grapes that I can buy, those red seedless grapes in the grocery store? And the basic problem is something called Pierce's disease, um, which would be quite challenging to grow those kind of bunch grapes here in the hot, humid south. So as a result, muscadines tend to perform much better. Auburn is doing great research on varieties of bunch grapes that may be resistant to Pierce's disease. But they don't look or taste like those red seedless grapes you buy in the grocery and, store. And maybe their research will result in being able to exactly. someday have Over really time, good grapes. Over time, they may develop one. Cherries, talk about Dave Gray's cherries. Well, your brother, uh, my brother-in-law, has um, had the persistence to grow cherries, but it took him a number of years, and I think you said like his seventh type of cherry tree or, or seventh, seventh tree tree that he's planted finally has, has lived. But the basic problem with cherry trees around here is it's simply too warm and it gets too hot and humid. So um, I don't even know if the humidity is a factor. I just know when you think about cherry trees, they grow farther north yeah, in order to get fruit. If you're interested, uh, get in touch with us. We'll get you in touch with Dave so he can talk about what he's done. But what it, basically it boils down to planting them so they get morning sun and afternoon shade. Right. Which, of course, lots of plants like morning, sun, and afternoon. Absolutely, yes. I don't know of a single plant that likes it in the reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Citrus is another one. Yes, you can grow it, and everybody knows somebody who's growing satsuma oranges or Meyer lemons or something like that. And they can be grown, but they're challenging. You just have to work at keeping them alive. Just because of the weather. I would say if you lived in California or down in South Florida... I don't know that they're challenging, but they're challenging here because... They're challenging here because our climate is a little on the northern range for them. But we are thinking of trying some, so stay tuned. All right, let's talk about blueberries. Easiest fruit we know to grow. You need at least two cultivars, and when you go to a reputable nursery and you buy a blueberry, they're going to tell you you need to have another one to go with this one. And, you know, we, we have 35 blueberries growing right now. You don't need to make that big a commitment, but if 
if you're going to start with blueberries, you probably need at least two. You do need at least two trees, and, and they need to be of different different types. cultivar. Yeah. These are the ones that prefer acid soil. They like uh, pH down around four and a half to five and a half. Which means they are happy little campers right here because that's what we have is acid soil. And you can see them growing here. This was before the fire. Uh, I, I burned a lot of our blackberries, uh, a lot of our blueberries, as those of you who listen regularly know. Uh, they need well-drained soil. That's not a problem for us. Our soil is naturally well-drained. But if yours isn't, it's an issue and you need to deal with it. Right, and this is a plant that we know needs lots of water while setting fruit. Um, and, of course, if you don't uh, get lots of rain during that period, you're going to have to supplement the water. Ours are on drip irrigation. It makes it a lot easier. You should see the first fruit from your blueberries within a couple of years, certainly within three years. I think this is a two-year plant right now that you're seeing in the show in the picture here. They need to be planted in December and January, so we're coming right up on the hot time to plant blueberries. You dig a hole about as deep as the pot is tall, but twice as wide. Why is that? Because the roots of blueberries, and for that matter, most any fruit tree, go sideways, not down. We, we tend to think that the roots of a tree go downward, but usually they don't. Usually they go sideways. Uh, you need to water that hole well. You need to mix in 25% native soil, 25% pine bark, and 50% rich topsoil. And the reason why for the pine bark is to bring in that acidity that you need. And you want to make sure that you don't plant them too deep. And this goes for most every fruit tree as well. You don't want to plant it. And, and we often have a tendency to do that. We want to plant it deep because we feel like, oh, it'll be firmer that way or it'll be happier that way. Soil's good. Uh, in general, you want to get it up. And um, one of our good friends at E.V. Smith says uh, of pecans, plant it high, watch it fly. Right. So same here. Um, and then when you get, as with any fruit tree, you want to mulch around the base of the tree after you finish planting it. But be sure the mulch doesn't actually touch the stem or the trunk of the plant itself. You want to keep that mulch uh, an inch or so pulled away from that tr trunk. And there's a video that you can click on there. Um, I'm not sure it's clickable, but you can at least go to that video. Um, it's a video we produced here called How to Plant a Black uh, Rabbit Eye Blueberry. Muscadines. You need a trellis for muscadines. It, it'll just wear you out if you don't have a trellis. And they need to be pruned more or less every year. You can quickly lose control of a muscadine if you don't prune it once a year. Otherwise, they're really easy to grow. Yeah, they, we haven't had to supplement their soil or amend it in any way. It's been great. But you do need to be patient because you're not going to have muscadines the very first year. And, you know, we noticed if you see the picture that goes with this, that's um, our grandson Smith and me picking muscadines, I think, year before last. Uh, they were much smaller. Those same plants are producing, well, here's the next picture, two that's years later. That's the same plant yeah, two years later. With much larger berries, which is, of course, what we want. And many more of them. Yes. But that takes patience. This is two years we've had to wait. Let's talk terminology. This picture you see here is a muscadine. And it's a dark, if, if yeah, you're not seeing the picture one. at the moment, it's a black one. And then this other one that's bronze, most 
people would call that a scuppernaw. At least around here, around these parts. <laughs> it is, in fact, a Higgins muscadine, but that's not as important as knowing that all of these are muscadines. Very few bronze muscadines are actually scuppernons. Scuppernon is a cultivar of bronze muscadine that's frankly not very common down here in Alabama. So correct terminology is to refer to all of them as muscadines, and if you want to distinguish, call them black muscadines and bronze muscadines, because that's what most people do. Or that's what people who are familiar with the terminology do. Right. And you plant the plant just as you would a blueberry, uh, with an exception being in the soil mix, you do not put pine bark in. So it's just half native soil and half of your, um, I guess, topsoil top soil that may have some compost or something, you know, good stuff to put in there with it. And we've talked about how to do that. And of course, you want to water it in really well and, and mulch on top. Okay, so let's talk about strawberries. This is really sort of your forte. Right. I, we plant the strawberries out in the vegetable garden, so that's gotten to be my thing. Uh, now, the optimum way to do it, where in which I've gotten the best results, has been to plant plugs or small transplants in October and then let them develop nice root systems during the wintertime and harvest beautiful big strawberries in the spring. Uh, that's only if you can get the strawberries in October. And a couple of years ago, I was able to get them from a local producer. Well, he's actually, he's a local um, grower. He did not produce this crop of strawberries. He bought his elsewhere. And I was able to get some extra plugs from him. I put them in the garden in October, just as I was describing. Lovely, lovely crop in the spring. Um, but, and, and, and one concern someone might have about, oh, plant them in October, won't they freeze? Those plants did great all through the winter. The only time you really have to worry about a freeze is um, the bud. Once they've started to bloom or have a bud, the you know the bud turns into will bloom. It's a little flower. That's what's going to be your strawberry. That you do not want to freeze. So if if once they've started to bloom and you have a late freeze, you need to cover them over with something. But they're our first fruit of the season, and they are welcome. Uh, very welcome to our beginning of fresh fruit. So uh, we have a picture here that's uh, on the link to this presentation that shows you a great example of all stages of what's going on with this plant. You see some little buds beginning, some flowers, and then finally some fruit. Really nice. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you my difficulty, though, is I haven't been able to find a source of Camarosa is the variety of strawberry I'd like to be planting, the cultivar, and I can't find anyone to sell me those transplants. So now it's November, and I guess I'm just waiting till spring. The one thing I am doing this year is, um, and if you've listened to our podcast, you know about the great um, raised bed redo that we did last year. When in the process, I had to uproot all the strawberries, so I took the daughter plants from that be those beds and replanted them into a bed that I have here. So we will see what happens in the spring with those daughter plants. Spring planting will work okay. You'll get strawberries. They'll just be smaller. Right. Yeah, I've done that too. And that's what, you know, usually ends up happening for most people as you go to any nursery or the big box stores. They're selling the strawberry plants in the spring. So don't worry about it. 
and we generally let them grow at least one more season to take advantage of mothers putting out daughter plants. Right. We're trying to determine whether we could let them grow more than two seasons. That's You're supposed to be able to, but we don't know. We'll see. Right. Okay. Um, the persimmons we grow are Asian persimmons or Oriental persimmons. They are not the the common persimmons that your friends may have told you to eat when you were a six-year-old child. Yeah, and those those friends were really not your friends, were they? Because when you put that <laughs> persimmon in your mouth, it probably turned it inside out, sort of like putting alum in there. But Asian persimmons are a totally different Much more pleasant. Game. Right. Asian persimmons are larger than common persimmons, and they are delicious, sweet, succulent, even while they are firm. And they have become our favorite fruit. We um, look forward to them every year. Something about the combination of the texture and the taste. It's just, you know, it's really hard to describe. They're like no heaven. other fruit. Right. And here's a great shot of you uh, cutting a persimmon laterally, which shows off that beautiful star-shaped pattern that you get when you cut them laterally. On the inside, right. It looks, It's round on the outside of the fruit. And by the way, you can eat the skin and everything. It's all good. But inside... No seeds. We have not yet no. found a seed in a persimmon. Arlie Powell at uh, Petals from the Past says every now and then he will find seeds, mm. but we haven't yet. All right. Um, you need to expect to wait for about three years. I think that the persimmons that are performing so well for us have been in the ground. This is their third year, and it's our first really good year. For yeah, we had a few last year, mm -hmm. exactly, but a handful. But this is a really good producing year. When they get mature, they bear a lot of fruit, and they get heavy. So if you plant a persimmon tree and it does mature and produce a lot of fruit, expect to shore it up with poles and sticks and whatever. We've chosen to plant ours on a trellis, and we think we were the first people in Alabama, maybe even the only people still today, who are growing persimmons on a trellis, but it seems to us to be working well. Yeah, And I might add that we've planted six trees, and what, three or four are actually producing yes. one of them. So we've had a couple of them, Not we haven't gotten a persimmon from them. And we actually, the one of the Fuyus actually set two persimmons this year. I'm not sure I um, okay. told you about yeah. that, but we have had, the Fuyus have by and large lagged the Wasi Fuyus. Wish we had planted all Wasi Fuyu now, but Well, you, know, you never want to be locked into one cultivar, so I, I, I think we did the right thing, but the, the Fuyus are slower in coming on. Uh, pears, usually prolific and steady, but this year we had a late frost and we think it just knocked all our buds off. It did. Well, I remember walking out there and looking at them, and after that late frost, seeing, oh, the buds are gone. And, of course, we didn't get any fruit to yeah. speak of. We had a few I, I pears. we had a total of six pears right. on all our trees. Uh, you need to be very careful about using fertilizer on pears. There's a problem with fire blight on pears, and the worst cause of fire blight is too much nitrogen. It helps to prune them, and, and you can speak to that uh, as far as how often you prune them. Yeah, you don't need to prune them nearly so aggressively as you do muscadines, you know, every two or three years. 
is probably a good idea to come in, come in and, and prune them back so that you keep the new growth close to the main branches in the trunk just so you can reach it easily. And there's a shot. Here's a we key for yeah. um, this is from last year when we had better years, uh, better better production. Kefir's done well for us. Though. Yeah, kefir's been a good fig, a good pair for us. All right, uh, figs. We, you know, our figs are okay. It's just that they keep dying back to the ground every winter because of it, again, they they are susceptible to the frost. Right. So if you've got a sunny spot on the south side of a building, that would be a great place to put a fig. Unfortunately. When that fig tree gets big, it's going to be too big for that space. So I, I, I'm not sure what to tell you other than, you know, you can do what we've done, which is to plant them out in the orchard. Adi is keeping close tabs on this one. This is a uh, an LSU Gold. And I show this because that fig tree is about the same height today as it was two years ago. It's more filled out. It's though. much more filled out. It's producing much more fruit, but it's no taller than that one is. Some people don't like figs. So, you know, before you commit to figs, make sure that you're one of those who really does or that you love someone who really does. <laughs> or at least make fig preserves out of it and give it away, you know. <laughs> Um, and old trees, some, we have some friends who, with some huge old fig trees. Taller than their house. Yes. Just massive fig trees. And they've asked, what can you do about it? Well, you can prune them down pretty low to the ground yeah, during the they, wintertime, can't They're you? very forgiving of heavy pruning, unlike some other trees that don't like to be pruned heavily all in one year. Figs can handle it. You can prune them back as far as you want to prune them. And a lot of people who have lost control of a huge fig tree do exactly that. They'll prune them down to, you know, eye height, say, mm -hmm. and force them to rebranch and and re and, and regrow their foliage, and it works fine. And they do it on a rich, rich root structure, which means they grow fast and they set a lot of fruit and so forth. Apples. Now these are some of my favorite fruits, and that we had four apple trees that we planted in our very first attempt at orcharding and that was what would we say five years ago i guess so and, and those trees are pretty big now two annas and two wine saps um but even with trees last year four years old we wouldn't have said apples were easy this time last no, year we would have said you, you're just going to pour a lot of work into them and get very little in return and we have planted some other apple trees since then but even those weren't producing a lot so but this year was a lousy year for pears, as we've already described. And for some reason, it was just a wonderful year for apples. Especially those two five-year-old trees. They just produced like crazy. This is uh, probably half our apple crop. I had already, we had already picked the other half more or less completely. When we did this, we needed to make some jam. And we picked a whole lot of apples at one time for the jam. Uh, but you got frustrated with me when you found out I had done that and said, but wait, I wanted to, and I'd already made the jam by this time. And, and I don't want to sound ungracious about the jam. It's delicious, and I'm glad you did oh, it. Oh, you were terribly ungracious. But the reason is that, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> the reason was that I love the way these apples taste fresh. It's better than anything I've gotten in the store. Um, they really are And we delicious. knew they were organic. I could, again, grab it off the tree, just eat it. So... 
I was concerned that I couldn't, uh, I was going to miss out on that window of having fresh apples of my own. And meanwhile, you had left some apples in the trees saying, ah, those are small or I can't get to them or let the birds have them. And I said, well, since the other apples are all jammed now, let's glean those trees and get every last apple. And so we have a, a slide here showing a picture of a, a half bushel basket filled over, brimming over with those apples that were remaining in the trees. So that I, I had get, basically given up on. Yeah. I, I had said, okay, the birds can have them, but that was a really good haul. And that gives you an indication of the plenty we had. This is three and a half gallons of apple jam sitting on the shelf here. So it's just a great year for apples. The, the reason we think they did so much better than the pears is that they wait longer to bud. So the freeze was over by the time the apples started to bloom, and therefore yeah. we had apples. And that's, by the way, that's why the muscadines are never a problem with freezing, because they wait and wait and wait and wait to set their buds. Uh, when you're, anytime you're talking about any fruit tree, you need to be concerned about chilling hours. And here's an article that we wrote a couple of years ago trying to make chilling hours understandable. And I encourage you, if you're curious about chilling hours, start with there. I've got links to other articles that are helpful and so forth. But the whole idea is fruit trees need time to rest if they're going to bear well, if they're going to thrive well. And apples are particularly susceptible to that. It's easy to get an apple tree that has a chilling hour requirement that's higher than what we can depend on And, of here. course, keep in mind we're talking to people in central Alabama. We're talking about this region. If you live north of here, you may be getting plenty of chill, chilling hours. Uh, somebody in our presentation yesterday mentioned North, Asheville, Carolina. North Carolina. And North Carolina has is a great environment for growing apples because right. they get plenty of chilling hours. But, you know, we... A, a typical year here might be 850 chilling hours, and a lot of apples need t 1,000 hours or 1,100 hours or something like and that. And it's not just below free. In fact, what is the range of, is it 34? 35 to 54 degrees, and if it's, right. if it's below 35, it doesn't count. If it's above 54, it doesn't count. So that's why it's not just, oh, well, why not grow them in Alaska or something? You know, you you need to know, to need to fall within that it range. It needs to be in the sweet spot. Right. We've learned that we can stretch out our season. If you, if you know what you like and you can find the way to do it, we figured out how to enjoy fresh fruit from March well into November. So we have a long season, and we set out to do it that way. This page comes from one of the publications that we're referencing at the end of the presentation. And I'll, if you're curious about getting a, 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 this particular uh, chart from the Alabama Cooperative Extension System, I'll tell you at the end which one of those, uh, where you can find it. But it's it. really neat in that it shows you, it just uh, it's just this graphic that displays the first fruits down through the last fruits, and, um, you know, you can, in one very visual array, you can see how you can st stretch your season out. And our experience, if anything, has been better than portrayed on this chart. We can harvest muscadines and persimmons longer than the chart would indicate. Right. So it's great. All right. Uh, I had not planned to talk at all about pests, but you you insisted we talk about pests. Because so. I have seen pests out there on the fruit this season, really for the first time, to be honest. 
Um, and we have a running dialogue about it because you're, I think you're in denial myself. <laughs> but I, 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 I prefer guess, to think of it as letting God manage. Well, it's part of my awareness level is heightened because of being out in the vegetable garden so much and having experience with stink bugs and leaf-footed bugs. But I saw leaf-footed bugs all over the blueberries this summer. I saw stink bugs out there on the muscadines. And I, of course, my usual technique is just to eliminate them in their lives when I see them. Um, but the fact of the matter is they're out there. We're choosing not to spray or do anything um, at this point to um, keep it under control. And we've still had plenty of fruit. But but just being aware that stink bugs can be a problem for fruit. And uh, one organic alternative, if you're producing on a fairly large scale, is trap cropping. So um, through Auburn University, you can find out about their integrated pest management system. And if you'd like to know more about use of trap crops or other ma means of controlling stink bugs, um, check it out. Help me remember that we want to put a link to that on the show notes page so people can, if they're curious about that, they can okay, go learn great. more about it. Uh, the next bet pest we ought to talk about is plum curculio. Um, a lot of people who are into fruit in a big way are very concerned about plum curculio, as well they should be, because plum curculio, is, it's an insect, and they're relatively, um, they're not picky. They'll eat most anything with a soft skin. And when they do, they, they can ruin lots of crops. And our, my brother, Dave Gray, has really struggled with plum, plum curculio, particularly on his peaches. And he's settled on a product called Surround WP. And I'll try to remember to link to that as well, if you can help, help me remember. Um, the problem with Surround WP, it's organic. It's not poison. doesn't hurt birds or bugs or dogs or cats or anything else. But the problem is you have to spray it nearly every other week throughout the fruit season. And that can get tedious and expensive. Um, the latest arrival is something called spotted wing drosophilia that is now vexing blueberry growers. Now, we've not had a huge problem with spotted wing drosophilia. We're confident it's out there, but it's not a huge issue for us, and we don't expect it will be because we don't have that many blueberries. If you're into monoculture with blueberries, you've got a problem. Well, if you run a U-pick, for example, yeah. which, yeah, you, you know, it could be an issue. And so one of the growers we know has had to start spraying for that because of the fact that, well, you just can't afford to have your whole blueberry crop, crop wiped out. Yeah. So it, it's a real problem for people who are growing blueberries in a, in a sort of a, a more commercial way. Hasn't been a problem for us yet. All right. So that's our report. Uh, hope that you will take advantage of this growing season that we have coming up. This is that slide that I told you about that has the uh, resources that we think might be useful. Right. You've obviously found these slides, so you don't care about that. The one that has the uh, nice chart is the Fruit Culture in Alabama, ANR-0053-A. And um, C, that looks like a C to me. I'm looking oh, at oh this that one. one. Yeah, fruit culture in Alabama. Okay. Oh, one was ease of culture, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that, again, for this area, if you're here, it's good to see that uh, graphic displayed because then you realize what you can do. And I, many of these other um, 
publications will be extremely helpful to you depending on you know you can just pick out what it is you're interested in do if you if you're interested in strawberries we have one here that we found just about growing strawberries in Alabama well thank you so much for joining us and for your patience with our long presentation today but we hope you learned something and uh, we ho also hope you have a great weekend that you'll join us next time you've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden you can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.